come up and read. We're, we're reading from Acts chapter 12, verses 1 to 17 this morning. Good morning, everybody. Lovely to be back at long last. So if you have your Bibles with you and like to join with me, and uh, as already has been said, Acts chapter 12, 1 to 17. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death and the, sorry, and the sword, can read better without my glasses, <laughs> when he saw that this met with the approval among the Jews, he proceeded to see, seize Peter also this happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains. Sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a bright light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said. The chains fell off Peter's wrists. When the angel said to him, put your clothes on and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison but he had no idea what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. When Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel to rescue me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. People knocked at the outer entrance and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognised Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, sorry, she ran back 
without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and the sisters about this, he said. Then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had thoroughly searched made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered them to be executed. May God bless his word to us. Can you imagine if you'd been there in the, the room and Peter knocked on the door thinking that he was, in, you, thinking he was still in prison? Can you imagine how you might be feeling? I think it's a, a wonderful passage and I'm looking forward to what Hugo has to say about it in a moment. Well, we've had quite a week, haven't we? A week and a half around the world with all kinds of things happening, but with Morocco and Libya and and other things in other places. Some good things and some terrible things. And we're going to have a time of intercession now. I'm sorry, I don't know who's coming to, to lead this bit. Susan, fabulous. Come and lead us. Well, this is just me praying. It's not like... Uh, That's fine. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> Morning. Lord, we come to you this morning with hearts full of gladness and joy. We thank you, Lord, for the beauty of your wonderful creation, for the nature and wildlife. Lord, we thank you for family, for friendship, and for your love that surrounds us all. Lord, we come to you this morning with hearts full of sadness, sadness for the suffering in our world. We think of the earthquake in Morocco and the flooding in Libya, and we pray for your intervention. So much loss of life. We pray for the families and all the emergency teams working in such difficult circumstances. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. We think of the dreadful war continuing in the Ukraine. We pray that you will bring resolution to this situation. We pray for our world leaders, that you will guide them in the huge decision they have to make. Lord, we come to you this morning with grateful hearts, grateful for our little church here in Milford, we pray that we will continue to make a difference in our neighbourhood. Holy Spirit, come, bring in the harvest so that we have more workers to fulfil the plans you have set out for us. We pray, Lord, for our search for a new leader. We pray for the search team <clears throat> as they interview the candidates on the 25th and 27th of this month. Help us, Lord, to prayfully support the search team. Give them your wisdom, Lord. Lord, we come to you this morning with thanks. Thanks for how much you love us and how much you care. We thank you that John Withers is home from hospital as planned and we pray for a speedy recovery. 
We thank you that Callie Morgan is home from hospital and we ask for your protection over her as her body heals. We thank you that Johnny Wright is recovering well and grateful for his treatment. We thank you for little Teddy, who has developed a rare form of brain cancer, and we ask for a miracle, Lord, that you will heal him fully so that the cancer does not return. We pray for all the people that attend our church and are suffering with illnesses that are long-term or short-term. Lord, we bring each and every one of them to you today and ask that you walk with them, comfort them, and surround them with your love. Amen. Before Hugo comes and uh, speaks to us, why don't we sing again, Yet not I, but through Christ in me. Why don't we stand together? I'm very grateful to Sharon, mostly for your sake, uh, that she came along today. Because, uh, Lynn, are you here? Lynn is not here, is she? No. So she's just recovering from the wedding that she was involved in, I think. Um, but she said she couldn't lead the service. And I was worried that you were going to have too much of me uh, in one morning. So this is, this is better, that it's, uh, you've, had, you've had the better half of me for most of this. And now it's me. <laughs> you're a whole, yes. You are a whole, and I'm a whole, and together we make another whole. Yes, you're right. Very holy. Mm. Um, so we're looking at this passage. Of, oh, is it coming up there? Oh, there we go. You see, I was told by Brian that I was to speak on the power of prayer because of this story of they prayed fervently, and then this remarkable thing happened with Peter. So I've changed the subject to... Prayer, power, and priorities. This is because prayer has no power. Did you know that? A, a really good prayer meeting can have rem remarkable things can happen at the same time as really good prayer meetings. But prayer itself has no power. God has power. Jesus has power. God loves us. And prayer and God and us somehow working together makes stuff happen. And weirdly, when we don't pray, stuff doesn't seem to happen. And when we do pray, stuff does seem to happen. And that's part of the frustration of this morning's talk. Because what we'd really like is for God to just be doing anything. And if we asked him, he'd do it. Whether he wanted to or not would be the issue. Because if he wanted to do it, he'd do it. But it does appear from Scripture that there needs to be some engagement with us in praying for even God to get his will done. Otherwise, he wouldn't say in the Lord's Prayer that we should pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So there's something subtle about the way God is the king of the universe that requires us on earth to pray. So this, this talk is about the prayer meeting that happened when the miracle happened of Peter getting out of the prison. Because on the whole, I don't know about you and I, uh, you, you, how many of you have been to prison? Oh no, don't answer that. Um, <laughs> been to prison to meet the prisoners or been there as a resident? Um, uh, getting out of prison 
like Peter did, is quite a rare experience and not many of us can relate either to having been persecuted like Peter was. You know, some people go to prison for good reasons. Other people go to prison because of Jesus. On the whole, the British people I've met haven't had the, the glory and the blessing of being persecuted like Peter and the apostles were in the early church. So most of us haven't gone to prison and been sitting there thinking that maybe in the next 24 hours I could have my life ended by the sword or some other way uh, just because I love Jesus. And then had the church pray and got set free. So this is quite an unusual experience for most of us. So we read it and we go, oh wow, it makes me want to sing, my chains fell off, my heart was free. But actually for most of us, we've never had any chains except kind of metaphorical or spiritual chains. Physical chains are slightly different, aren't they? I'm quite keen on keeping it a metaphor in my life. Um, I don't know about you. So it's in that context that I wanted to talk about the fact that there was prayer going on, there was definitely power going on, and there were some priorities. We'll come to the priorities. Let's see what I've got to say here. Click. 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 No power on my clicker. Oh, look, it just happens automatically. All right, so first of all, let's look at Peter. I love the fact that he goes, am I dreaming in this? How many of you have actually had a weird experience with an angel? So Sharon's doing this, but she doesn't want to be picked out now. But I, you know, at this point, I could if it was a bit smaller group. All of you who threw your hands up into the air would go, right, come and tell us your story. But you didn't, so that's not going to work. I have had a weird experience with an angel. Well, I think it was an angel. And that was that I was at Bristol University, and I, we were involved in a lot of prayer and activity of that kind. And I felt that I should go out and see a friend who was living out on Bristol towards the Welsh side. And I don't know if you know, but this, this is Bristol. There's the M4 and there's the M5. And if, you know this part of the world? The M5 goes this way, the M5. This is not because I'm trying to do a cross. It's just simply because that's the M4 and that's the M5. And there's a big junction there. And there are junctions here and junctions there. And I was living on this side of Bristol. And my friend was living up here. And I was going to go out and see them. So I got in my car, which was quite a miracle it worked at all, I have to say, that day. Uh, and I drove to one of the junctions here to go up the M5 to go and see my friend. As I got to the junction, there was somebody hitchhiking. And uh, they, they kind of, and I thought, because I was very much into that, you know, I don't know about you, but there are certain points in my life, but I've been really into, I'm available, Lord, whatever you want to do. And there are other times when I think, no, I am not available and I don't want anything else to happen today. Uh, but that day I was in the I'm available, Lord, whatever you want to do kind of mood. And there was this young man standing on the road. And so I pulled in and said, can I help you? And he said, yes, can you help me? I need to go to this part of Bristol. And I said, well, you're not in the right place because he was on the M5 trying to go north. He wanted to go to this side of Bristol. So I said, the only way I can get you there is to go up the M5, cross on the M4, and then back in to the other side of Bristol. And he said, oh, 
Oh, I, I didn't understand that before. So he then gets in the car because I decided to do it because it wasn't essential. I went to see my friend. So I thought, well, I'll just go with the flow of this. So we drove up there and I chatted to him. He said very, very little. Apart from, I just feel I'm doing something important today and things like that. And I'm going, this is a very strange chap. We drove across here and we started driving back into Bristol. And as we drove back into Bristol from the M4 towards where this chap needed to get to, there was another person hitchhiking. And I thought, oh. So I said, why don't we have, you know, have a party today? So we op open the car door and this other chap gets in as well. And he is shaking. And I said, what's happened with you? And as he got into the car, the other one said, you've got me far enough, thanks very much, and got out and went off. So in fact, the new chap got in the front seat and as we drove off, he said, I've had a terrible experience. I was on the motorway. Uh, I had been hitchhiking from London and this person I was with uh, was driving their car. They broke down, they got out of the car, they got hit by a lorry, the police came, uh, and the whole has been a horrible mess. But, you know, I wasn't related to this person, so eventually the police have just dropped me here and said, get, get yourself home from here. So I then drove him home, and he said, it's like you're a miracle, it's like you're an angel, just come to help me. And I'm thinking, oh, I think I just got put here by something else putting me here to help you. And then extraordinary things happened in relationship with this second person. And I couldn't have told you that the first guy was an angel. He didn't look like one. He looked a bit like a student. And uh, maybe all angels look like students, I don't know. But I'm pretty sure that God set me up to be there for the second person and how it all then progressed from there. And I'm pretty sure that came out of the fact that we, as a church at the time, and when I say a church, I mean the church in Bristol were praying in remarkable ways. There were some amazing prayer meetings going on at the time. And there was a real flow of the Holy Spirit. And this chap then got drawn into all of that. So I believe in angels. I don't necessarily know what they look like. And I do recognize the experience that Peter is, is sharing here of it all just seemed a bit weird. And then you kind of look around and go, what just happened here? I now believe. I love the fact that he goes, I now know that God sent his angel. It's a, you know, I've just coming to, it says he came to himself. There's only two people who came to himself in the Bible. Uh, this chap, Peter, came to himself, and another person who was the prodigal son came to himself. And it's a sign of actually, it's like your brain, your spirit, your mind, all coming back together and going, I can now see spiritually what's really going on here and what matters and begin to make the right priorities in my life. So Peter thought he was dreaming, but he was actually having a real experience, even though it was very unusual, and loads of Christians in the room here, but you haven't had an equivalent experience to him. Uh, every now and then, these weird things happen. I love Rhoda as well. Uh, she, there are very few people in the Bible who we know their names. This lady, who is a servant girl, let's cl cl clearly state here that on the whole, I don't know how many of you have servant girls. Do you have servant girls? No? Um, you have washing machines, don't you? Uh, rather than people to do your washing. You know, maybe some of you are going, actually, we've got a gardener, but I'm not putting my hand up. But, you know, um, 
the, the reality is that most of us don't have servant girls. Actually, if you go to Africa, Sharon has just been to Ndola. Some of you know uh, Ndola and uh, the work in Zambia that we do, because I talked about it here, as well as uh, Mechanics for Africa. Uh, and in the, for, for us, I always went to, to Zambia until this year, and Sharon's just been there. So if you want to compare notes on Zambia, Sharon's just been there. Uh, you will find uh, in most of the houses in uh, uh, in Zambia, who are relatively wealthy in the context of Zambia, there will be maybe a cousin or, a, a, or some, somebody from a great distance who would like to come and live in the city, and they, they become a servant girl in the, the wealthier members of the family's house. And they're definitely servants. Uh, now, I think Rhoda probably falls into that kind of category in this household. The household that this took place in was a household with a big room. We actually think that the household it took place in, uh, according to theologians, was the same place as the Last Supper. It's a house with a large upper room and a big crowd. The same place as the day of Pentecost, where people gathered in the upper room. The same place as some of the resurrection uh, appearances. This actually, if you like, was the congregational center the building. We all know this building isn't the church, don't you? It's just a building. They had a building. It happened to be somebody's home. Uh, and it was the place where they could, it was, had a big enough room for the crowd of people to come and pray in it. Uh, and Rhoda, in this quite wealthy household, was the servant girl. And praise God, the Bible decides that Rhoda does this thing of finding the good news at the door, bringing it to everyone else, and instead of saying the servant girl, it says Rhoda, the servant girl, because servant girls have names. And of all the people in the house, she was the only one that was right, which is good, isn't it? Sometimes we need to recognize that, and I, th I think that that's why her name was in there. She was the only one that was right and that she was, should have been listened to. And they just said, you're out of your mind. You're out of your mind. Because that's what happens to people who are in society are in that kind of strata of society. Everybody goes, oh, you're just stupid. Not only was she not stupid, she was right. The only thing that she'd forgotten to do was unlock the door. Never mind. Um, so, can we click to the next picture? See, yesterday, I was on my walk through Farnham, and I walked past a man knocking on this door. It's number 42 West Street, Farnham, in case you're interested. It has this sign, please knock loudly. I saw him knock, then I saw him knock again, then I saw him go knock, 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 knock. And then he got frustrated and started trying to go around the back. And considering I was actually doing this talk this morning, I thought, I have to take a photograph of that. There is, it's just so much, it's so totally related. Uh, I, how that happened, I'm not quite sure. But anyway, I thought I'd take a photograph of please knock loudly. Poor old Peter, he's sitting there knocking on the front door and knocking on the front door. You know the word knock doesn't turn up very often in the Bible. There are three major points. This is one. Another one is ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you because God wants to give you the Holy Spirit. Your Heavenly Father wants to give you the Holy Spirit. 
And the word knock there is knock and knock and knock and knock and knock and knock and knock. And weirdly, in this passage, because the Bible's like this, it loves to do this little parallel thing. This one, Peter knocks, and then he has to knock, and then he has to keep knocking, and it's all about a prayer meeting. Isn't that interesting? Just trying to, the, the Bible isn't trying to, sometimes it's about art. It's trying to connect things and make you go, get the point. The point is here that Peter knocked, and he knocked, and he knocked, and he had to keep on knocking, and eventually they opened the door. And there is something that God is telling you from that. There's, when's the other bit in the Bible where it says, someone knocks at the door? So Jesus, standing at the door and knocking in Revelation, says he knocks at the door. Just so you know, if you don't listen, he'll go on knocking and knocking and knocking and knocking and knocking and knocking and knocking. Actually, he was standing at the door of the church trying to get in. Did you know that? We always make it, he's standing at the door of somebody who's not a Christian, saying, I'd like to come in and eat with them. But actually, he was standing at the door of the church saying, I'd like to come in and I want you to... Not just have me eat with you. I don't want you. I don't just want to come to your services. I want you to start coming to my services. I want to take over your meetings rather than come to your meeting and make it work. That's what the Revelation passage means. If you if you want to check it, it's Revelation three twenty. Uh, very clearly, the church was very. Oh, oh, oh. Why? Because Jesus was outside the door knocking. So it's interesting. Three passages about knocking. And the next slide, please. Because I can't make it click. So the context of this prayer meeting. I want to say a couple of things about prayer meetings. Is that okay? Because you've got a month of prayer, haven't you? So Sharon, uh, about a few weeks ago, was at a church where... Uh, that they just come up with this. There's a few little churches around here in this part of, uh, and this is one of those little churches. And a lot of the folks who are a, a little elderly, but they've got a new assistant pastor person who's bringing in new ideas. And this quite elderly lady said to Sharon, "We had a very exciting time this week. Do you know, we didn't just we we, we had a prayer time, but it wasn't just an ordinary prayer time. We had prayer stations." And have you ever been to one of those? And as we've already had mentioned today, you're having a prayer station event, which the young people are going to event, organize and everything like this. And Sharon came home to me and said, isn't that interesting? Because we've been organizing over the years prayer station events in schools, evangelistic prayer station events, and all sorts of other things. The idea that someone would say to us, have you ever been to one of those? was really quite funny. So, uh, but, because it, it became the modern idea, didn't it? To have lots of prayer stations where people could come, you know, 24 hours a day for seven days a week, and people would sign up for an hour, and then they would go to prayer stations, and I'm sure that's what the young people are doing, and all this kind of thing. It was, a, it was the kind of cool, trendy way to pray. Now, I'd just like to mention something here, which is I don't think this prayer meeting was like that, the one in here. I think it was actually what I would call an old-fashioned prayer meeting. Well, it was quite a long time ago, so it's quite likely to be old-fashioned. I think it was a prayer meeting where a whole bunch of people gather in a room and they pray together. In fact, if we look at the prayer meeting that happened in Acts 2, 
And maybe we just kind of click forward one click. Um, uh, and we look at the prayer meeting that happened in Acts 4. You'll find that they quite often prayed all together in one place. Now, there is a very good case for prayer stations. Because particularly for devotional uh, ministry and for individuals praying for various different things and, and having information which we then pray off, that's fantastic. But I would like to say there is nothing that can do away with a prayer meeting where you gather together. There's nothing that can do it. There's something about gathering together. And I'm saying this to myself because more and more, we're trying to find ways to say, well, lots of us are praying in the dispersed church rather than we're praying in the gathered church. And all of you would say, well, actually, if all of us pray at the same time on a Zoom meeting or all of us pray at the same time because we've scheduled the time, that's all of us agreeing on earth. It is, it is. But if, that, if it is okay for all of the church to be gathered, dispersed across the city, and praying about the same thing at the same time, why did these people in Acts 12 come together? Because I'd like to tell you this, that in every normal sense of thinking, the idea of a whole group of people gathering in a building that was well known for being where the church gathered was extremely stupid. Because... A few days before, one of their key leaders, James, the brother of John, had been killed, and they were out to get them. We knew that because this is, this is not just right at the beginning of Acts. We've already had Paul, who was then Saul, persecuting everybody in Jerusalem, and then going off to try and kill a whole bunch more people. We've had Stephen martyred already. We've had all sorts of chaos. The, the Jews are out to kill these people. Herod is out to kill these people. Do not all go to the same room at the same time. It is stupid. Even if it's a well-known place. Why would they do it? I'll tell you this. The only reason they'd do it is because it was necessary. In order to change something in the supernatural world, it was necessary. And you sit there and say, well, if God wanted to save Peter out of the prison, he could do it anyway. I would tell you, no. It was necessary. It is necessary for us to pray. Would Peter have been saved like this if they hadn't prayed? I can call it as a question, and the theologians can argue about it forever and ever and ever. I can tell you that the Bible is clearly giving you the impression, and trying to give you the impression, no, probably it would not have happened. Even if God wanted it to happen, it would not have happened because part of what God wants is to do it with us. And that's one of the ways he has limited himself in this generation. We have to work with God even for God's will to come on earth as he wants it to. And the main way that we have to work with God is to pray together in agreement. And this is, you know, the church buildings whether they be temples back over history. Church buildings or places of gathered church have been used as houses of prayer for the nations. Not houses of prayer for themselves. You're not meant to come together to pray for the church. You're meant to pray for the purpose of God in history, particularly in your community. So I sit there and go, well, the context of this gathering is that in any sensible world, 
They should not have gathered unless it was necessary. But they gathered because it was necessary with remarkable effectiveness. Next line, please. There are three things which are disturbing about this context. The first thing is that it, it was a context of extreme persecution. I would actually say that we've been through a very strange phase in history where uh, nonviolent demonstration has worked. From about Gandhi through to Martin Luther King on to the Marcoses in uh, the Philippines to the bringing down of the wall in Berlin uh, and a few other ones since then, particularly South Africa, the end of apartheid in the South Africa. The idea of nonviolent, although it's a bit more nuanced in South Africa, the idea of nonviolent uh, demonstration bringing down evil regimes has become very prevalent. Just so that you know, as far as I can see, evil regimes have got together and learned from each other that if you are actually thoroughly brutal, nonviolent demonstration stops working. And that's why the beginning of that was Tiananmen Square, and now more and more total brutality is what evil regimes have decided to do. When you stand up and say, well, we're just going to stand in front of tanks, they just drive over you with the tanks. That's what the philosophy is being taught by the evil regimes to their people is doing at the moment. We're much more likely in the next phase of history to find people standing up in front of tanks and being squashed than standing up in front of tanks and going, whoa, we brought down an evil regime. Because that's what the philosophies of the world are. The Bible doesn't say that that's a big surprise. This was what was happening at this time. When it came to it, in brutal ways, ridiculous brutal ways, in just ways to demonstrate that they had the power, they decided to kill everything in front of them. I want you to hear this, that it still works to go with Jesus in nonviolent demonstration. The only problem is that we won't necessarily get the wonderful stories like the Berlin Wall. We might just get what has happened throughout most of history, which is that we die in large numbers and still win. Because that's the history of the church, is that we have died in large numbers and still won. It was fabulous these people got together in persecution. But notice what they were praying about. They were praying about Peter being saved from prison. I guarantee in the room there were people with loads of problems. Like, if we ask you about your problems, if we had a house group which was a bit smaller, and I asked you about your problems, everybody would have a problem, and we'd all, we could all pray about it, couldn't we? Because we've all got problems, haven't we? And then we've got our children, and they've got problems, and we've got our grandchildren, and they've got problems, and then we've got our friend and our neighbour, and they've got problems, and we could pray about all of these things, and it, we should. We should bring them before the Lord. But let's understand there are some things that for the purpose of God in history are major Issues, significant. You know, James has been killed the week before. I guarantee they prayed the week before and he still died. They then pray for Peter and let's have the last line here, which is part of the context. 
They were disappointed about losing James. You know, it wasn't just James. This was James, the brother of John, one of the two sons of thunder. He was going to be, you know, you'd have thought he'd be significant running the church for the next 30, 40 years. But he's gone. Raised from the dead? No. Oh, well, Peter's in prison and he's coming out after the Passover. That's going to be really great. And then he's going to be killed. So let's pray. In that context, though, A remarkable miracle occurs because of the strategic significance of Peter. I would like to say to you that every one of us in this room is equally significant to God's purpose in the next 30 years. But I doubt it's true. Well, it might be about us. But if we take everybody in the room and then take everybody in the church throughout the world, I guarantee there are some people who God is more likely to save and get out of prison than us. So let's not go into prison. No. Um, so do you see what I mean? Because there are strategic things that God is trying to do. And here's the truth. We should pray about this. There's a, a remarkable story that came out of Iran this week. Three days ago, a pastor who's been in prison for a year in the most notorious prison, I think it's called the Arvin prison in Iran, was called to the governor's office Uh, He walked into the governor's office and he said, you've been pardoned, you can go home. Now there are lots and lots of pastors in prison in Iran at the moment. It's actually got much worse since the Iranian government started to kill young girls because they wouldn't wear uh, hijabs, uh, which they did in vast numbers, as we know. Uh, There are loads of pastors in prison, but this one, they decided to pardon him and he's gone home in the last few days. It, it isn't, my chains fall off, my heart was free. It wasn't an angel did it in the middle of the night and, the, and all the soldiers just went to sleep around him. But within their context, it's like, whoa, what happened? Now, I'm sitting there going, something strategic happened. I don't know what happened, but something important happened. And sometimes, some miracles have to happen more than others. And we need to focus our prayers as well as on everything, because we've got to pray for everything, haven't we? We should pray for these strategic things to happen, for God's purpose to happen throughout history. If Peter had died that day, we wouldn't have got half of the New Testament. There were loads of stuff that wouldn't have happened. What a wonderful thing it was that God got that prayer meeting going, because it wasn't like the prayer meeting just happened. He inspired them to get together and to pray, and then it happened. So, question, how are you doing on the meeting for prayer thing? Now, I'm only saying that because I do know you, and I know me as well. We are in a season where everybody's saying, oh, getting together for a prayer meeting. Even the little things. David said to us, you know, have you prayed before the service? And it was no, so we prayed a little bit just before the service. Even that moment where you're just finishing a coffee with somebody and you say, shall we pray, rather than, shall we go? (laughs) Uh, Just a a, a brief prayer can make a difference. Uh, Jesus said to to Peter, James, and John, uh, while on uh, on the night he was betrayed, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and when he was praying the most strategic person in the whole of history not to be tempted, not to go to the cross. He was praying and sweating blood and they went to sleep. And when he woke them up 
He said, could you not wait with me for one hour? Could you not wait with me for one hour? I love the fact that he didn't say, could you not wait for me the whole night? He didn't say, could you not wait with me for 10 years? He simply says, could you not wait with me for one hour? He wasn't asking them to pray a lot. He just wanted them to stand with him in the battle, which was the most strategic battle for the whole of history. And they didn't. And they recorded it, and they tell us. And why do they tell us? Because we're meant to be inspired. Yeah, why can't we wait for one hour together? Even if we don't even know what to pray. Even if we just have to repeat ourselves over and over again. Even if one person prays and the rest of us go, Amen. Why can't we just pray about the stuff that we need to pray about for this community? Why don't we do it? Why don't I do it? And I say that. As much as, why don't, we, why don't we inspire one another to gather into a room? Why is it that the Holy Spirit doesn't seem to want us to gather in a room and break the power of the enemy in a, a community uh, and to establish the purposes of God? Or does he want to do that to us? And are we being sent to sleep by uh, a way of life that we are used to and that we got even more used to in the pandemic? Uh, Should we be gathering more to pray? And not just pray about all our needs, but to pray about God's need. Not just that we we ask him to eat with us as he knocks on our door, but once he's come into our house, we start to eat with him, that we start to pray about his needs. And not just pray on the basis of the news. You know, there are dreadful things in the news, otherwise we wouldn't watch it. That's what keeps us watching. But what's God's purpose in this point in history? Is it a a pastor getting out of prison in Iran? Or is it actually that God would release the right leadership to his church in Milford? Not just that there would be a committee that's thinking about it, but that God would release a move of God here in Milford because uh, the right people come together, both those you've invited in and those who are already here, and that together a new flow of the Holy Spirit starts reaching young people and old people and, and the Holy Spirit begins to move again. And, you know, you are in a month of prayer. So my big question is, are you praying? Not just individually, not just for lots and lots of needs, but together in prayer, gathered in one heart, in one mind. That's it, really. That's my message for today. If you can stand, would you stand? And we'll, you know, and those who are not standing, kind of stand in spirit and we'll pray. The great thing about prayer is that God has already demonstrated that he's in it. He's for it. He's for his purpose. He's not just sitting up in heaven and saying, look, I'm going to work from home at the moment. He's come to work in the earth. The Father came and started working. Jesus came and joined in with all the work the Father was doing. Holy Spirit is continuing the work. And the work is to bring God's kingdom into this world until the kingdoms of this world become the kingdom of our God and of his Christ. And he's on that story. And he wants to come and lead us in that, in this season here, in Milford, in your lives, in my life. So let's pray. Maybe a few people would like to lead out in prayer. If they get to the end of a prayer, say amen, because it means I agree.